Here we are. Let's talk about God podcast. Episode 17. Episode 17. <laughs> what was that? I know it just sounded good. <laughs> sounded intense. Episode 17. <laughs> I get in my DJ voice. I like it. Wherever you go, whatever you do, WCZY, Cozy, 99.9 FM. I'll stop. Oh, please stop. Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) We're sitting here on this nice September morning, starting to get cool. Life is good again because football is back. Hopefully, whenever you're listening, the Clemson Tigers are still dominant. But so far, we've only played Georgia Tech. And we slapped them around, and that was awesome. That's right, because this podcast will come out in October. So for everybody listening, this is where we're sitting on this Thursday, is that two days from now, Clemson plays Texas A&M. So all of you already know what happened, because that was probably a month ago. So what's your prediction, so that somebody listening to this right now can look back and either go, they nailed it? or they could laugh at us because we were so far off. My prediction, we're both Clemson Tiger fans, so we may lose half of our listening audience now, but respect that, please. (laughs) Um, That was a joke. Um, I think they're going to win handily. Um, I hate teams to be a preacher and say this, but Vegas says they're going to win handily, which Vegas usually does a pretty good job. But they really gave Clemson a hard time last year, but it didn't happen until the fourth quarter. For three quarters, we led the game Mm -hmm. in that close game last year. So our secondary was really weak, but that was the second game, whatever season, whatever. Our secondary is now really strong. So I think that that's going to help shut down Kellen Mond. He's a tremendous quarterback, by the way. He's a tremendous athlete. A lot of respect for him. But I think our um, I think our defense will will hold them, and they're in Death Valley, and that's that's hard, man. You can't even hear. I, I mean, those guys. He's Kellen will be trying to make calls, and they won't even be able to hear him because that place is so loud. So, I what's mean, your score prediction? Um, you know, I don't know. It might be. I mean, I don't. I know they're going to score. It may be like. I mean, I'm I'm being generous. I'm going to think 21 to, you know, 40, 40 40-something in the 40s, you know. Yeah. That's what I'm going to guess. I was thinking I'm going to make a prediction 42 to 14. Yeah, or 42 to 21 or 45 to 21, something Mm -hmm. like that. We might kick a field goal or something or two, so it might be 45, 48. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at 48 just because, I mean, we've been scoring. Oh, yeah. And um, so, yeah, I think – all of our listeners right now are going. We know <laughs> either, they're either going. Man, they were really good, or boy, were they were they wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just hoping that it's not like one of those games that ends up being unnecessarily stressful, like the we, Syracuse game. Yeah, was. and then you're like, why are we going through this? Well, your brother and I were at that game last year. Yeah, and that's the one Trevor Lawrence got hit and got taken out of the game, and Chase Bryce came in, and man, when Le- Lawrence went down. The whole stadium went quiet. Yeah, you could feel the wind go out of that place, and we were like, "Oh man, there it goes." But Chase Bryce came in, the backup quarterback, and play. He's a, I mean, he could start in any team in America, and took them down the field on that ninety-plus yard drive. Mm-hmm. We watched it and scored and threw that ball and fourth down. I mean, it was just the place went wild. You couldn't hear your ears were yeah. ringing. It was 
Chase Bryce cool. in that game will be immortalized in Clemson history. <laughs> that game between he, he and Hunter Renfro, they've got their place because yeah. Hunter made the catch in that first national championship. I was watching that last night. Were you? The way they set the videos up, so there's this one guy who posted 2016 national championship, and I thought, this is us. So it's been a while. I watched the whole game. I couldn't remember. Everybody's out there, Deshaun and everybody. I get to the end of the video and we lose. <laughs> like, I didn't want to watch this. It was the year before. All 15. And I was yeah. like, wait a minute. So then I found the correct video and got redemption. So in like 30 minutes, I managed to watch us losing to Alabama and then coming back and beating them. And beating them the next and year. And then maybe I'll rewatch the game where Trevor Lawrence and the Tigers just just destroy them should our listening audience know how many times i've listened to i've watched the 2018 win sure i've watched it four times <laughs> like entirely y- yes well you can f- when you have it on dvr you can fast forward through all the commercials so it only takes an hour yeah that's true so i just fast forward through commercials but yeah i just enjoy long. watching them cream just alabama just pummel i mean this is a good little rivalry it's rivalry that's starting to develop between these two schools so hopefully in the game this saturday we won't need an angel to save us and that transitions us into our topic today <laughs> from the from the terrestrial to the celestial oh that's horrible <laughs> that's pretty good That's fantastic. Today we are talking about angels, um, which is really exciting. We hope that you enjoyed Sacrament September, and now we're going to move into, uh, what would we even call this with an O? I have no idea. Ostentatious October. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know. I I have no idea. Um, anyways, we're going to be talking about angels, and then next week we're going to be talking about fallen angels, also known as demons. So you want to stay tuned. It's October, and there's Halloween. Halloween. Spirits. It's Spirit Month. That's good. There you go. The Lord did this, and we weren't even thinking about we it. Thinking we're not even that it. smart. Anyways, we're talking about angels today, and so as always, let's start 30-second definition of angels I'll go first. I got it written down. I said this. Angels are spiritual, immaterial creatures created by God to be messengers for God, servants of God, and worshipers of God. Uh, here's my response. Ditto. All right. <laughs> what you, I don't think there's any way that I can improve on that definition. I think you're exactly right. I think um, they're a particular race created by God to serve God and ultimately to serve the people of God. Yeah. Yeah. They are spirit beings and um, incredibly intelligent, not divine though. They're no. not, they're not godlike. Mm-hmm. They don't know everything. Their knowledge is limited. They can't be in all places at all times. They're not all powerful, but they are. The Bible says that the mankind was created a little lower than the angels mm-hmm. and crowned with glory and honor. So, you know, they are <clears throat> being supernatural, uh, superior to us in those many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I think the angels look at a redeemed child of God in awe and wonder mm-hmm. because God's son, whom they worship and serve, <clears throat> would come to this earth and and die to redeem us. I think the angels stand in awe of that. We're going to get into it, but there are things that we know that the angels wanted to look into long to look for and, and look to yeah um 
also you you never see scripture say that the angels were created in the image of God. We were bestowed with that very particular honor to be created in the image of God. So yeah. something they they don't have. Yeah, I mean Satan Satan wanted to be like God. I will be like the most high. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to that passage, uh Isaiah, I wills and um what he wanted we got. Yeah. I mean, we got it in Adam. Sin disrupts it, but Christ restores it. But yeah, that that makes us distinguished or different from the angelic host. That's fantastic. Well, let's go ahead and just get right into it. Um, we've already covered some of it. Um, I'll. I think we can confidently say angelology, the study of angels, maybe isn't the the biggest theological topic. Would you say there's not? There's only so much we know, right, about angels and angelology and everything, but. They're, the Bible is pretty clear on what we do know about them. Yeah, and I think in classical theology, this this is kind of the the, the outlier, mm-hmm. the fringe theologies. Yeah, you know, we laugh because you came up with sacrament September. It might be oddball October because this this is kind <laughs> of the odd. And with all due respect to to this theology, it's kind of the oddball. It's yeah. sort of the. It's not. You don't have volumes written on this, whether you get into soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation, or Christology, which is the doctrine of Christ, or pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit. Um, it, this is a little different, but yeah. it's 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 important. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we're going to look at today because angels are real, mm-hmm. and they do affect our lives. Absolutely. And, uh, and so we need to study it. Mm-hmm. We need to have a little bit of an understanding. We need to have a lot of understanding about angels and who they are what they're yeah. like to me it's like it's in a way we're 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 also we're just discovering god's creature creation and creatures and the way he's wired the world in a way that we'd research this planet and whatever else to just know knowledge and glorify god it's always helpful to just learn more about what god's created and how he set up the world well maybe before we dive into actually talking about angels and what they're like maybe we need to just stop right now and look at the fact that there is a spirit realm. Mm-hmm. Maybe this will help us to better understand this, that there is a physical realm. So you were laughing at my terrestrial, terrestrial celestial <laughs> little joke there, but let's go ahead and get serious about it. There is a terrestrial world, mm-hmm. this earth. There is a physical world, a material world, but there is a spiritual world and a material world. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's it's the realm of, of God who is spirit. Okay, and so the guy who, who kind of opened this up through a novel – that was really popular quite a number of years ago was Frank Peretti, Mm -hmm. uh, This Present Darkness. And then he wrote a follow-up book called Piercing the Darkness. And it was about the warfare that happens in the spirit realm between angels and demons and how we are directly involved when we pray and we're crying out to God and demons are coming against us and angels are dispatched and there's warfare and Oh man, it's you ought to get it. I mean, it's an incredible book. It'll open your eyes. Now this is it's fictional, right? It's fictional, okay. but it's based on the the the, the sound doctrine of angelology mm-hmm. and demonology. And it'll just it'll change you, it'll revolutionize how you look at this very topic. Because what it does through fiction, though, it's telling you that there is a world that we don't ever think about. Yeah. Because we go we get in our physical cars and we drive on physical roads and highways and we go to our physical place of employment and come back to our physical homes and with the physical people that we're interacting with, and we just don't stop long enough to realize that there is a spirit realm out there mm-hmm. with inhabitants, angels and demons and the spirit of God. God is heaven is a spirit realm. 
So until you grab that, this topic may be difficult. Yeah. But those spirit beings intersect with our physical world. They come into our physical world uh, and and they interact with us. So even though we're in a physical world around us, we are in within within us and around us, there is a spirit realm. And I think it's important to remember too that you are spiritual, that you are, you know, your body can die, but you don't cease to exist. You know, your you is not just a brain and organs and everything else. So you participate spiritually in a sense that you you are a soul. <laughs> You're an embodied soul. So this isn't completely foreign in a way. No, no. I mean, that's why I said within us, we're, mm-hmm. we're spirit, body, soul, spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. a trichotomist. Some people are dichotomists, just think we're body and soul, but I think we're body, soul, and spirit. That's, that may be a topic, topic for that another, would, yeah, be another good one. podcast. But um, yeah, and, and once you grab this, that there is a spirit realm, then you can begin to say, okay, I can wrap my brain around angels and demons. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very so, concept. Yeah. So let's let's dive into it. Uh, who are angels? What are angels? What are they like? So angels are created beings. Um, simply Colossians 1.16 tells us that all things were created through him and for him, speaking of Jesus. So it's clear that angels are created beings. Everything that is not God is a created being. Um, so even though angels are... Um, they are immaterial, even though they are spiritual. Um, all of these different things, they are created beings, um, just like us. Um, they're immaterial, just said the spiritual. Um, the fact that they can you know, appear, disappear, they're described as flying. They are pictured as being in heaven with God. They're often glowing, um, pictured as glowing with, with like a radiant light. They've clearly got this spiritual element to them. Um, angels cannot die. And angels don't marry, which I think is really interesting. So angels will spend forever either worshiping God or in eternal torment, if you are, you know, if, if that angel is a demon, actually. And then angels are different from humanity in that they don't die, they don't procreate. Um, uh, Jesus tells us that actually um, when it was the Sadducees who confronted him. And uh, you know, tried to at, try to trick him and ask this question about marriage. You know, if if a woman's husband died and then she remarried and then he died and so on and so forth, who's he going to be married to? And Jesus says, "We'll be like the angels. We won't need marriage." Um, they're powerful creatures. You know, it's an angel of death that killed the firstborn um, in, Egypt. In, in Egypt. It was an angel that rolled back the stone. So really, what you're getting is they are. They are an other creature, a spiritual, powerful creature, but nonetheless still a creature. Um, now, talk to me about the description of angels. We have get some powerful descriptions of what angels typically look like or are pictured, and then what are some of the ways that angels are, are, angels are falsely pictured, maybe in art and various, what, whatever you would see in your grandma's house. Oh, my, your grandmother actually has, the, has a picture. I've seen it. <laughs> I've your, seen it, too. <laughs> you, that's why you said that. Oh, the, I call it the fat little chair baby. The fat little, the fat little, the fat little angel baby. He's got a harp. He's got a harp. The fat little angel baby with the little wings. And they're naked. Why are they naked? And they're naked. I, I, I don't understand this. There are things I just don't understand. What gets in an artist's mind, but that is not real. Okay, there are no little fat little baby 
Wing baby angels. Just hold on, just for a moment. Imagine a fat, naked, winged angel just slaughtering the firstborn. Exactly. (laughs) It does not fit. So get that image out of your mind. If you see it on a painting or a sculpture, just laugh at it because it's not real. Um, It's interesting that in the Bible, you never see an angel as a child or a woman. Mm -hmm. An angel is always a man. Now, uh, now, before we move on, is it possible to say that angels are sexless, though, though pictured as a man, because yeah, well, they don't reproduce? Yeah, because they're spirit beings. Mm-hmm. So th- those are those are they're coming in a bodily form. I mean, there's there's that, um, and I wouldn't I don't know if you call it an anthropomorphism, but it's very similar to what Jesus did. In Some the, type of manifestation. A manifestation. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's theophanies and anthropomorphisms, but but the, the it's they're them coming in a bodily form yeah. again. The spiritual being is moving into the material realm, mm-hmm. physical realm. So they have to, for the sake of interacting with that realm, God allows them to take on a bodily form. Yeah. So thus, when Abraham, and actually this is cool, Abraham had three guys come to his tent one day. Mm-hmm. One of them, and they were all men. One of them was God. Yeah. Read it. One of them was God, and the other two were angels. God mm-hmm. stayed and talked to Abraham. The other two angels went on to Sodom and Gomorrah to check it out and to rescue Lot and to rain down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. God stays back in a bodily form talking to Abraham. Abraham figures it out. It is God. Yeah. is now overwhelmed, realizes what the two other men, that they're angels and what they're doing, and begins to intercede for Lot to try to rescue him. And so, then that story gets wild. And that story gets wild. <laughs> but my point is, um, if you do ever see an angel interacting on earth, and that's what the Bible talks about, you see them in heaven, but when they're on earth, they're, they've got, they come m- most of the time, not always, mm-hmm. but in some kind of a bodily form, something that they can be identified um, with. There are, there are, so here's the thing. To say then that angels look like humans may not be a safe statement or be only partially true yeah. is that they look like humans. Is it that they look like humans only when they're on earth? Yeah, that's a good question. That when they go back into the spirit realm, what do they look like? Now, you you get these pictures in heaven, and John the Revelator sees angels in heaven, but they look like men. Mm-hmm. Okay, so sometimes they but, – but did they do that for the sake of John so that John could – he has to be able to write he's something gotta, down. He's got to be able to relate. Yeah. Okay. Use our mental framework. Right. But then you got a couple other unique things. Isaiah chapter six gets gets caught up in the spirit, taken up into heaven, sees God sitting on his throne. Mm-hmm. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And then around him were seraphim. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they were winged creatures, had six wings. Two covered their face, two covered their feet. Two wings caused them, gave them capacity to fly around the throne, and they were crying, holy, holy, holy. And so you had these seraphim, and then there's another passage. I can't remember. Maybe it's Ezekiel where there were cherubim. Yeah. Okay. So very similar, but different. Had the you know one had the face of a lion and a man, like and four faces and four wings. Four right? wings. So you have these unique angelic creatures. Mm-hmm. Again, they don't look like us, but but they are angelic creatures. Mm-hmm. By the way, a little trivia: uh, I am in Hebrew is is the plural. 
makes words plural, like S or ES makes words plural in mm-hmm. English. So one of those is a serif. One of them is a cherub. Mm-hmm. If you have more than one, you have a seraphim or a cherubim. That's good. Little 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 Helpful. little trivia right there. You there you know. <laughs> but um, but they're they're that's those are just kind of unique yeah. things. And there's a lot of symbolism in those angels. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the covering of the face uh, was that they wouldn't look upon the glory of God. The covering mm-hmm. of the feet was the humility before God. The wings was that they're the they're the, the messengers of God. Mm-hmm. They can they can go at an instant. So there's a lot of symbolism there. Uh, with those angels and the fact that they're around the throne of God, they're worshiping him, praising him. So there's crying out uh, the splendor of God and the nature of God that he's holy, holy, holy. So yeah, um, that, that, I don't know we're getting ahead of ourselves on what they actually do. Um, I know we talked about angels are presented with a glow. Yeah. Okay. I think some of that gets back to that supernatural spiritual element uh, that's that's there. Um, was it like one of the angels at the tomb had it was glowing? Mm-hmm. Had a white robe. Had a white robe that glowed, and then and then the angels that John saw glow. So you know, again, is that reflection of the glory of God? Today we might have more questions, as many questions as we do I know, answers, right? So because <laughs> uh, there's just some things we don't necessarily know. I would say so. I think when you think of like white and light and different things like that, I think one, it shows this is not just a man. It's an angel because we don't know if those angels had wings. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't think it says, um, I think too, it shows that it's an angel of the Lord. It's an angel clothed in light, which is the glory of God, purity, purity, glory of God. And, and I think that, that moves on to our next thing is that angels, angels of the Lord are associated with moral purity. Um, for instance, the Apostle Paul says that Satan sometimes disguises himself as an angel of light. So even through that picture, um, we see that angels are associated with uh, moral purity. I think you mentioned this earlier. Angels are higher than human beings, but their knowledge is still limited. Uh, Matthew twenty four thirty six shows that they don't know when Christ will return. And then 1 Peter 1.12 says, it was revealed to them, he's talking about the prophets, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, but in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So they are um, spiritual creatures, but they, they don't know everything. Now here's what's cool. Um, angels are sometimes alone, but also sometimes are in great armies. Um, the angel that appeared to the shepherds were joined by a multitude of heavenly hosts. So that's why you hear God being described as the Lord of hosts, most likely a reference to the angel armies. I know there's a popular Chris Tomlin song, the God of angel armies, whatever, however that song goes. There's a song that has God of angel armies in it. The God of angel armies. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, what is the Hebrew? Is the Lord, the Lord Sabaoth, Sabaoth? It's hard to say that Sabaoth, not Sabbath, but Sabaoth, Mm -hmm. which means host, Lord of hosts, which Mm -hmm. does mean He's the captain of the armies of heaven. Uh, Revelation talks about myriads upon myriads, wow, myriads, which is like a number that can't be counted. Yeah, and and so if you use it one time, that's pretty that's pretty expansive. Mm -hmm. Myriads. It says that there are myriads. Upon myriads, so there are there are potentially billions, yeah, of angels, an uncountable number, an uncountable number of angels that uh, God created. 
Um, and and you talk about how they come as an army, um, uh, and you 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 know there was a prophet that saw the angelic host, you know, surrounding him. Uh, they they were they were I think it was Elisha. Um, they they were surrounded by an army and a guy. He said, "God opened my servants." You know, he thought we're surrounded, we're in trouble. He said, "Open his eyes," and he looked, and there was chariots and the armies of angels surrounding that army. That's crazy. And so he saw in this again in the spirit realm what he couldn't see in the physical realm. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing, Evan. But what one angel can do, one angel is one angel is a green beret all by himself. <laughs> there is a story. I think it's that same story where that night one angel killed 185,000 of the enemies. It's crazy. And when they woke up the next morning they were just there was bodies everywhere. These they were going to come in and slaughter the mm-hmm. enemy was going to come in and slaughter the 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 Israel the Israelites, people of Israel and instead one angel, one angel. Um that's pretty amazing. Yeah, what, that is amazing. What one angel can do. Um, so you talk about this, this power that they have, um, it's unstoppable, Mm -hmm. it's unstoppable power. God given. Um, I think that leads us into two people that uh, a lot of Christians have heard of, but maybe you just would like some clarity on. Often we hear of two angels. I believe these are the only named angels in all of scripture, right? Gabriel and Michael. Now I think the Apocrypha might mention three more that we're not familiar with, but I, or the Aramaic Targum has two more, I think, that are better not is in the it Bible. Phineas or something? I can't remember. They're very unusual names. Are they Hebrew names? But I don't, I don't remember them yeah. because they're not, they're not in, in the Bible. You're yeah. correct. I mean, these are the only two: Gabriel and Michael. So, who are Gabriel and Michael? Well, Michael seems to be the archangel specifically for the nation of Israel, the, mm-hmm. the, the maybe the protector of Israel, if you will. You you read about Michael uh, several times. The story in Daniel or. A lot of people know this if they know you know who are familiar with the Bible or Daniel fasted and prayed for twenty one days and couldn't seem to nothing seemed to happen on the twenty first day. Michael showed up mm-hmm. and talked to him and said, "I was God heard you the first day I was coming, but the Prince of Persia, which was a demonic angel uh, who was actually over the entire uh, empire of Persia, mm-hmm. so he was a pretty powerful." being within Satan's hierarchy, resisted him. And so they were in battle for 21 days. Wasn't it Gabriel? Didn't he send Gabriel? And Gabriel had to, like, radio in for backup? Is that what happened? Uh, you know, it may be, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, he fights against him. So he's sort of the, the defender of Israel. And then um, Revelation, you see him fighting Satan, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of, if I, if I remember right, that – that that may be a story of 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 eons ago when Satan rebelled in heaven. Yeah, that it was kicked Michael who who rose. God kicked him out, but it was Michael who rose up against that rebellion mm-hmm. when a third of the angels and Satan rebelled in heaven and they were cast out. So uh, yeah, that's Michael. Gabriel is interesting because Gabriel uh, is the messenger of God. He is the he's the spokesperson. He's mm-hmm. he's the one that goes and God says, "Go tell this person these words. Go tell this." So he shows up to Zechariah, who's John mm-hmm. the Baptist's father, and says, "You're going to have you and your wife are old. You haven't had children. You're beyond childbearing years. But God's going to give you a son." Yeah. And Zechariah didn't believe it. And Gabriel said, "Okay, you're gonna you're gonna be not you're gonna be mute mute yeah. for uh, you know the whole time." 
until your son's born, and it happened. Mm-hmm. Well, then he turns around and leaves there and goes to Mary, a little teenage girl, and says, you're going to behold highly favor when you're going to be the mother of God. And she mm-hmm. says, oh, all right, let, let it happen. <laughs> okay, you know. And um, and so he came to Daniel. Yeah. So like you said, he was he came to Daniel. So, so he's kind of that spokesman for God. By the way, just as a side thing, um, somewhere, somehow, people got it that when the rapture takes place that Gabriel's going to blow a horn. I've I've heard it in so many songs. Gabriel, really, Gabriel, blow your horn! Oh yeah, there's I don't know where that came from, but there's nowhere in the Bible about Gabriel blowing a horn. Do you think it's speculation based on him typically being that messenger? I, you know, I great think event? some songwriter started taking some poetic license, and it just he announced the first advent of Christ. Maybe he's going to announce the second. I think so because it says with well, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, but it doesn't say. They've taken maybe they take those two concepts and blend yeah, them, and merge but it them. doesn't say the trumpet of, of the archangel. It says the voice of mm. the archangel, and the, if anybody has a trumpet, it's God. Yeah, exactly. Which yeah, I've always laughed about. God has a trumpet, but I think it's probably the voice of God sounds like. Yeah. A trumpet. So just anyway, kind of kind of kill that little urban myth. Well, in those two things, I think you actually just pointed out something really neat that I, I'd like to talk about just for a second. One is that angels are personalized, so they're not just forces or whatever. I mean, if these two angels have names. I think it's pretty clear God's named all of the angels. That they, they have personalities. Yeah, they have personalities. They yes. are personal. And then I think, too, you pointed it out, there's some sort of designed hierarchy, right? The Apostle Paul talks about thrones and dominions and principalities and powers. Well, we see people like Michael as you know the chief angel, the archangel. Gabriel has a specific role. You talked about the, the prince of Persia, Persia, who's a demon, who has some kind of role yeah, we is there some kind of spiritual hierarchy there? Well, the fact that my, now Michael's the only angel in the Bible called an archangel. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Gabriel may be one, but he's not referred to one. Yes, but the fact that he's referred to as an archangel in and of itself creates a hierarchy. And even with Satan, who is some sort of leader, there's An- I mean, is there Satan something? may have very well been an archangel. Mm-hmm. So you may have had Michael and Lucifer who were archangels, and, and that may have been part of the issue with his pride and wanting yeah. to, he was so close to God, he wanted to be above God. He wanted yeah. to be like God and raise his throne above the throne of God. So there, most because just simply in the fact that you have one archangel, that's enough, that there is a hierarchy. Yeah. If you had 90 billion other angels but one archangel, you've got a hierarchy. Yeah. There's one angel that's above those. And, and in Ephesians, when Paul talks about we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high place. He creates a high, he shows that there's a hierarchy there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would, I would say that there is a structure system there. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, well, God's so a cool. God of structure. I mean, yeah. And leadership. So you just that, don't even think through that way. You're yeah. just, you're in this whole different world, literally. Exactly. <laughs> well, we've touched on so many of this and it's hard not to. So we've kind of described what angels are um, now let's talk about what angels do. And we, we've already mentioned some of it, but we can clarify it. Um, the first thing that angels do, and I would say this is their primary role, is that angels are messengers. The word angel comes directly from the Greek word for messenger. Even in the New Testament, I think sometimes you use the same word, but context dictates what it actually means. Right, like the seven churches in Revelation, it talks about to the, the to angel, angel of the, the church. church at Ephesus. Mm-hmm. and. 
I think that's the old King James version, mm. but it really the word is messenger. Well, he wasn't writing; he was writing to the church, and it says that he had the the seven stars in his hand, which are the mm-hmm. seven messengers. So the context determines that that those aren't angels of the church; they're the yeah. pastors of the church, they're exactly. the messengers, are the ones who speak the word of God, which is what pastors do. So yeah, context mm-hmm. determines. Um, angels are consistently bringing messages to humanity throughout the Bible. And that's how we talk to angels are, um, designed for all kinds of reasons, but even to help us, to guide us, to serve us. So they show up and they bring messages. Um, they're especially important for God's redemptive plan because they really show up bringing those messages, um, to Abraham. Like we even talked about the three men who show up, one of them is God and the other two are angels. And they showed up to his tent to announce that they that Sarah was going to be the one specifically to have Isaac, and um, and and so they're always showing up. They show up, like you said, to Zechariah, to Mary. Um, they are announcing these messages, um, particularly that have to do with God's redemptive plan. Um, they even announce to Samson's mother that she's going to have a son. They're bringing good news um, and bring clarity on this now. Acts 7.38 and Galatians 3.19 seem to suggest that they took place as some sort of intermediary in giving the Ten Commandments. I know uh, there might be some discussion and some debate over there. I've heard before that maybe they had some kind of influence. Maybe they just took them and brought them down to Moses. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I probably just looking at Acts 7.38 um, – it says it was with the angel who spoke to him. It, they capitalized the angel, mm-hmm. probably a reference to the angel of the Lord, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Okay. It's probably a reference to, to to Jesus, yeah, the pre-incarnate Jesus. So I think there's probably what's me what what's happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, and continuing on with the theme, angels appeared to the shepherds to announce Christ's birth. So we talked about that came with the heavenly host, and they also warned Mary and Joseph. Um, so there are, there. Are, consistently doing the work of the Lord. They're helping us. They're being messengers. They're guiding us. They're leading us. Um, we also see them as guides, as protectors, as servants. So um, there are angels who receive credit for protecting the three Hebrew boys. Now, that might be the angel of the Lord, <laughs> um, but I believe Darius mentions angels is why I say that, that he um, says something like, you know, the angels are with them or well, again, in front and, of me. And, and maybe we, maybe we need to stop and talk about <laughs> the angel of the Lord before we go further. But I think, again, if you look at that passage in Daniel, he, he said who sent his angel, his but angel. they capitalized the A again. Okay. Yeah. And he said, I see one likened to the son of God. Yep. So it, it could have been a son of the gods and it could have just been an angel but look, it sure preaches a lot better when we talk about the fourth man in the fire yeah, is, <laughs> is Jesus. Well, let's wrap this up. There's a little bit more, and then let's let's get to the angel of the Lord, because I think a lot of people have questions about that. I think as far as actual angels, we do see angels ministering to Jesus when he's tempted by Satan, and he hasn't eaten for uh, 40 days. Um, the apostle Peter was rescued from prison by an angel um, in the book of Acts. Um, so we see that uh, at judgment, Christ will be accompanied by angels at his return. We even see uh, an angel killed Herod Agrippa um, and, and pronounced judgment on him. The death angel um, killed the firstborn in Egypt. 
And then, so they were part of judgment. And then finally, angels are a part of worship. Revelation describes angels who sit around the throne of God and in worship. We see that all throughout that book. What you're doing, Evan, to, to, the, to everybody who's listening right now is, if I was sitting, I'd be going, man, wow, there, there are angels all through the Bible. Yeah. You're right. And we're not getting all of them. Okay. Um, angels uh, came to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and mm-hmm. ministered to him. So what do you think that looks like? I think a lot of people, when they hear that, they go, cool, great, but they don't mentally process. Well, they may have come and encouraged him and, you know, said the father sent us to say, you can do this, mm. you know, you can do this because he's always, what do you mean? Why he had to be encouraged? Yeah, because he was in the flesh. And even though he was a son of God, his flesh was the human side of him was under the worst duress any human beings ever experienced. Yeah. So when they minister, and it wasn't like angels had to minister and help God. They were helping God in his humanity. Yeah. Because at that moment, the flesh was going to be destroyed. Yeah. So, so you had that. Um, you had um, uh, Jesus said, I have, you know, because they were, they were arrested. He said, if all I got to do is just ask and a legion of angels yeah. will come set me free right now. I mean, there are references to angels. When he ascended back to heaven, he goes up, and the disciples are staring, and two angels show up and said, <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you men of Galilee, why are you standing here? This same Jesus, which went into heaven, will come in the same manner as you saw him going to heaven. Yeah, You could just keep sitting here talking about it over and over again. Paul was on that ship when the ship wrecked, yeah. and he came and he said, an angel came to me in the night and spoke to me and said, we're all going to make it. Mm-hmm. You just... It's amazing how you you God sends these angels time and time and time. And by the way, let's just say this. You talk about angels, they worship. You know, in mm-hmm. heaven, you always see angels worshiping God yeah. in heaven. But angels, true angels of God will never receive worship. Yep. Because there were times when they came to men to bring a word, and the men were so overwhelmed by their presence that they felt this need to worship them, and the mm-hmm. angels would stop them and say, no, worship God. Even John the Revelator. Yeah. In, in, in his revelation, he, he saw an angel, and the angel was like, no, 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 worship is for God. Yeah, alone. worship God, don't worship me. So now if it's a if it's satanic, that, yeah, that, they would invite the devil's going to try to take the worship. You know, he tried to get Jesus to worship him. Yeah, so. exactly. So we see the angels doing all kinds of different things, and then we've already mentioned before, so let's go ahead and move into this. There's a lot of mention of a particular angel called the angel of the Lord. And we really see this in the Old Testament. And so um, the angel of the Lord can confuse us sometimes because we see angel um, and we think, all right, this is just a regular old angel, doesn't need to be worshipped. And yet the way the angel interacts with people seems to be like that angel is God. So, um, for instance, uh, he was the one who served as Israel's guide in the wilderness their companion. Um, The angel of the Lord appeared to multiple people, to Hagar, to Balaam, uh, to Abraham's servant, and the scriptures just don't distinguish. So for instance, when the angel of the Lord shows up to Hagar, um, he says this, I will surely multiply your offspring. And Hagar's response is, you are a God of seeing. Truly here I have seen him who looks after me in reference to God. She names God because the because he has seen her. So in this interaction with the angel of the Lord, and we see this over and over again, there seems to not be a distinguishing between God and between his messenger. No, and uh, my, my theology on this is that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Jesus. Mm-hmm. So 
Jesus, it's not like Jesus, the, the only time Jesus ever came to this earth was when he was born of a, as a baby and was here for 30-something years and went back, and that's the end of it. Yeah, he, there, were, there were many times that the Son of God manifests, and I think that that was the manifestation, the pre-incarnate manifestation of the Son of God through the angel of the Lord. Yeah. There are scriptures where the angel of the Lord accepts worship. Yes. And as we just stated, no angel would ever do that. Mm-hmm. No angelic created angelic creature. That's why many of the early church fathers believe this because mm-hmm. th- because of things like that that this angel would accept worship. This, yeah. That this angel spoke as God, acted as God, did things that, you know, only only God could do. Let me read this, what someone wrote about the early church fathers, because I, I, I love the, the logic here and the way they're working it. Um, it says, according to St. Athanasius and St. Hilary of Poitiers, in all these cases we have the Logos or the second person of the Trinity acting as the divine messenger, the divine word. And so think about this. Um, Jesus in the Gospel of John is called the Logos or the word. And what a word does is brings a message or a communication. And so then in all of these situations, you have the angel of the Lord, angel being messenger, being God's messenger, communicating to his people in a special and a unique way. So for God to deliver his message, um, it would make sense for him to send forth his logos or his word. So in other words, for our listeners, and we're not rewriting the Bible, but we're just taking the meaning of the word and using. There's more than one meaning sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it 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 might be. It, it's safe to say, the angel of the Lord. That phrase we could change it with not doing any damage because this is what the Hebrew word means to the messenger of the Lord. Yes. And if you do that, it kind of takes away this. Well, is okay. Well, what is he? Is he God or is he an angel? Mm-hmm. Okay. But if you take the word angel and replace it with the Hebrew word, which is what it literally means, which is messenger, then it kind of makes more sense that the mm-hmm. messenger of the Lord appeared. And you're right. He is the Logos. He is the, in the beginning was the word. Yeah. The word was with God. You know, that's how John describes mm-hmm. Jesus. It makes perfect sense. And we see Irenaeus of Lyon. Do you like that? Lyon. It's, it's somewhere in France. It's now. French, so it works. <laughs> he says, and again, when the son speaks to Moses, he says, I have come down to deliver the people. St. Hilary of Porter's writes, to discriminate clearly between the persons, he is called the angel of God. He who is God from God is also the angel of God. But that he may have the honor which is his due, he is entitled also Lord and God. Theodoret of Cyrus also writes on it. The early church fathers seemed to, uh, uh, many of them seemed to agree this was the angel of the Lord. Again, then he talks about Moses called him an angel. Mm-hmm. Again, messenger would work. I mean, what yeah. did Moses receive? He received the law. Yes. Okay, the verbal, he, he received a verbal message called the law of God, and it came from a messenger. Mm-hmm. So even though the, the writers, some of this may go back to translators where they picked the word angel rather than messenger. So, yeah, but basically what we're saying, though, is because of how this messenger or this individual operated, he spoke as God, Mm -hmm. he operated as God, he received worship as God, and thus that's why the early church fathers, and I I do, I'm convinced that he is the pre-incarnate Christ. Yeah, and I think you can even have like a, I don't know if I want to say play on words, but I think angel of the Lord is fitting because he's both the messenger, but he he appeared in angelic in in 
spiritual ways is what I'm saying. He right. appeared in these kind of just crazy, you know, light. What am I trying to say? <laughs> spiritual yeah. ways. Spiritual emanation. So it, it makes sense to look at him and say, that's an angel. Right. He was, also, not, he was something that was beyond, he yes. transcended the natural. Exactly. That's what I'm trying so to say. So in their, in their mind, they, were, they may have thought, mm-hmm. okay, an angelic being. Absolutely. Right. Um, well, that that wraps up some of the main portions. Um, so I'd like to ask you just some sort of random questions, some random angel questions. We'll skip this first one for the next episode. Um, but let's go to this one. So we know that there are fallen angels, which we're talking about next episode, which are demons. And then we've got God's angels now. But do angels... Now, the good angels, do they still have the potential to sin and to become demons? Why or why not? What do you think? I'm going to say no. Now, I don't have the references in front of me. I don't have the logic in front of me, so please forgive me. But I think that the understanding of the early church, or at least those in sort of like the medieval era, the idea was that the angels had a choice. They had a choice to make an eternal choice. So whatever they do was going to last for eternity. And so Satan and his angels made a choice to sin and to fall away, and we never see any talk of um, restoration for them. We never see any talk of redemption for them in the Bible. And then their understanding was the angels, uh, the good angels, made their choice, and then they were locked into that choice. And then they were certain things were revealed to them, such as the you know the incarnate Lord and various things. So I think the church believed that. Um, I would say that it makes sense. Also, just quite frankly, it just makes sense for them um, because they are reasonable beings. They are logical beings. Um, they stuck with the Lord throughout the first you know, fall of the angels. And I think they realized now we're going to be on God's team. (laughs) I just think through, through reason and logic, it it would make no sense for them to be able to do that. They're very aware of where the fallen angels will wind up. There's a, as I was preparing for our podcast, I read something and I liked the wording. And so while you were talking, I actually brought one of my (laughs) theology books because I liked the wording and Mm -hmm. I wanted to have it when we, when we got to this point, Originally, all the the angels were holy. Mm-hmm. Okay, then Satan rebelled. Our understanding it seems to be a third from from what yeah. we read in Revelation. Revelation a yeah. third of the angels followed Satan. They were judged. They were cast out from heaven, um, and and so they rebelled. What seems to be the theology of the church, and what seems to be the case, is that there was a confirmation that yeah. happened immediately. That's good. So that's the word we're going to use, is that um, th- those angels that rebelled were confirmed into their wicked state. In mm-hmm. other words, there's no redemption. Okay? So they're going to be evil. They're going to be in this rebellious state, and they're going to go to hell. Hell has been prepared for the devil and his angels, Jesus said. Mm-hmm. So that's their destiny. As far as God is concerned, that's where they're ultimately going to end up. No redemption for the devil. Okay. So they're confirmed it. Well, it just seems to make sense then that the angels, as you stated, who stayed loyal to God, stayed true to God, are confirmed into that holy state. Mm-hmm. Okay. And God can do these things. 
I mean, God created them. The potter can do what he wants with the clay. So I think he's he's taken that what because there must have been some kind of free will. There's some decision made. But free will. There had yeah. to be that they were able to to freely. I think God did showing when he created us. He created us with that ability to choose. Mm-hmm. We talk about free will. And uh, so choose you this day whom you will serve. Well, Satan chose and the angels chose. So that was a defining moment in the angelic race. And so that's that's the concept. Now, whether we're right or wrong can be open to debate. Mm-hmm. But there is one thing for me that's very definitive, and it's not just for angels and demons, but for human beings. When you get to Revelation, it's like because the question is, when we get to heaven, all right, let's talk about when we get to heaven. What what keeps what keeps us from having a rebellion? Well, let, let's say when you get to the end of everything, okay, the, every, the, every sinner's cast into hell. There's nothing but glorified saints left, and we're in the new heavens and the new earth, and we get 10 million years into that, and then a group of redeemed, glorified saints decide they're going to do like Satan and rebel. What's keeping that from happening? That's true. Okay, so how do you know it's not going to happen again? Well, well, there is a way that we know it's not going to mm-hmm. happen again because b- because of glorification. Yeah. So I think there will be a confirming for us. So just like what God has done with the angels, I think that preempts what God will do with sinners and saints. That the sinner once you know there's no redemption once once they're they're they've died and then they're sinned that that's their confirmed state and they're they're going to go to hell. But if you're born again and then you're glorified, then you're confirmed in that. And and it carries further is that the wages of sin is death, okay? So there's eternal separation from God. But the whole concept of heaven and glorification is that you will be with God forever. Well, the gift of God is eternal life. <laughs> right. So there, it's, it's you know, somebody could say, well, yeah, but yeah, I don't know if that's still a good answer because well, if there is a rebellion, there's still hell. God could just throw us into hell if there is a rebellion. Yeah, but I, I think th- like the second death, is, which is eternal separation for God, is thrown into that final hell. Mm-hmm. Okay? So there just seems to be a termination of anything that will permit the rebellion yeah. and a choosing against God, that that is that which is perfect shall come. And that, you know, we've made the choices, we've made the choices, we fought sin, we fought the devil, we fought the world, and then you finally die and you get to heaven, you're glorified, and it's like the battle is over. And I'm in this place now where, where for, the, all, for the rest of eternity, I'm going to serve God. Well, I think that's the, that's the best uh, conclusion for, for us is that, um, and even for the angels, is that the, that sin is defeated. Like, death is gone. Like, yes. death has died. Death is gone. So it doesn't exist anymore. I think it's clear that the angels had some kind of confirmation, and I think it's clear for us both that um, sin and death are defeated, um, that Satan is defeated, and so it, it took a temptation from him. So it didn't begin with us. It took a temptation from him for us to fall in sin, and he can't do that anymore. And I think in, in glorification, we've got our imputed righteousness, like we're in the courtroom of God, we're free from sin, but I think we have a full, complete, imparted righteousness and that we will never sin again. Well, we're made in the image of God. I mean, let's just take this carried. I don't know we're a little bit off the angels thing, but we're, we're made in the image of God, and that image was shattered by sin. It's been restored. It's being restored. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're, we're being 
we're, we're not conformed to the world. We're being transformed. It's a process by the renewing of our mind, which is a process. We have been justified. We're being sanctified, but one day we will be glorified. Mm-hmm. That glorification is not like the glory of an angel, as we stated at the beginning of this podcast, who isn't created in the image of God. Satan said, I want to be like God. I want to be greater than God. That was the temptation to Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. God knows God's holding out on you. If you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be like God. Well, here, if that's the goal, if that's if that's the epitome, if that's the height, then when you get to heaven and you're glorified, you're there. Yeah. Okay. You're you're not God. You're never you're not we're not divine beings. We're not going to be little gods. We are we we are his created creatures, though, created beings, but we are glorified in perfection like God. Yeah. There's nothing else for us. There there isn't the sin of to say I, I, I want to be greater than God because you're so much, you're going to be completely like, not so much, you're going to be so much completely like him that there is nothing else to say, what do, what more is God holding out for me? What more can I get? The fullness and all of this will be found in him. So it's not independent of God. It will be our completion, our wholeness, the, 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 the satisfaction, the That's fullness good. of satisfaction will totally be found in him. We'll draw yeah. all that from him, and so nothing will ever be there, to, I think, for sin-wise, temptation-wise, to cause us to rebel against him because it will be a diminishing of what God has given us in glorification. That's good. St. Saint, Thomas Aquinas and the Summa Theologica or whatever in his big work said that humanity— um, is always seeking two things that he calls happiness is the perfect good and like basically all of your desires satisfied. Well, when we get to heaven, we will be with the perfect good, the essence of goodness, and all of our desires will be completely satisfied. There will be no longing for anything. There will be no desire for anything else. We're completely and totally satisfied in God, in his perfect presence, why would we do that? It would only result in a lessening of our desires. The, the psalmist, I think it was David, said, in his presence, talking about in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. Mm-hmm. There's no lacking. Yeah. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That's good. You know, somebody says, well, am I going to get bored? Oh, no. You cannot ever, ever, ever for the rest of eternity exhaust the pleasure that you will experience being for eternity in the presence of God. And the irony is that's what Satan gave up yeah. and what he lost, we get. That's good. And the angels who stayed keep it mm-hmm. for all eternity. That's good. Woo, I feel the Lord talking <laughs> on this podcast. Hallelujah. I would say too, going on with that and then we can move on. I would say that it makes sense for the angels to have some kind of confirmation and feel free to disagree. But I think even with humanity, maybe we were going to experience some kind of confirmation because in the garden, there was the tree of, of life. There was not only the knowledge of good and evil, but the tree of life. And so it just makes you wonder if God was placing us maybe as also with the angels in some form of confirmation mode where it, eventually we would eat of the tree of life. We would live forever. God seemed concerned with that. And that's why he kicked us out of the garden. So we wouldn't live forever in a state of sinfulness and maybe would reach that point where we're locked in. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, Adam found for, for the for the for the human side of Adam, he found fulfillment in the perfection of the garden. Mm-hmm. Everything he needed, God provided. And so he found that fulfillment, the yeah. fullness of joy, the pleasure, 
everything was there. God gave him a wife, so they had relationship. They were going to have kids, and they would have everything he needed to fulfill. But what he needed spiritually, God came down in the cool of the evening. He had this perfect harmony, fellowship, and relationship with God. Everything he needed was there, and so he didn't need any more. Satan comes along and says, oh, you're, God's holding out. And that's why that tree was there. Could Adam say, I don't need the tree. I've got God. But Eve bought into the lie that God was holding out of them. Mm-hmm. And so they needed more and they weren't going to find it in God. They had to find it in something else. And that would be mean rebelling or disobeying God. And that's where sin comes in. Once you get to eternity, once you remove the devil, who's the tempter, once you remove the flesh, which gives in to the temptations of sin. Once you remove a worldly system, now there's a holy system of God and nothing but righteous people. I mean, you create perfection. Yeah. So it seems like I, it seems at least logically consistent to say that there is a time of confirmation that would lock in your free will decision, yeah. both for us and for angels. Um, th- this is an interesting one. Uh, does everyone have a guardian angel? Like a personal bodyguard. Well, I'll tell you where there's two scriptures that come to mind on this, okay? Jesus said that you better be careful if you cause a little, a young, someone who's young in the Lord to sin. Mm -hmm. So instead of confirming that person, encouraging that person, discipling that person, you tempt them to go do something that's wrong because they're young in the Lord and they need to. And and, uh, Jesus says it's better for you that a millstone would be hung around your neck and thrown in the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble and sin. And then he makes this statement. He said, because their angels in heaven are always looking out after them. Mm-hmm. So it gives the sense that new converts have angels looking out after them. So I think that's where that came from is, well, if they have an angel looking out for them, then do all believers yeah. have an angel looking out? So, so I think there's some conjecture there. Then in the Old Testament, it says, the angel of the Lord encamps around about those who fear him. So we've taken that scripture, which I've heard quoted many, many times, and the concept is, well, I have an angel who guards me and encamps around about me. Well, go back. The angel of the Lord is Jesus. Well, if we say that that's the messenger of the Lord, which is the pre-incarnate Jesus, then it, that scripture is not about a, a physical being, you know, created angel, but it's about the Lord. I don't know about you, as strong as angels are, I like better the concept of Jesus yeah. camping around about me. I think it, at the end of the day, I mean, even if an angel is protecting you or whatever, he's sent by God. <laughs> I mean, he all he is is the servant of the Lord. You know what I mean? Right. So for me, it's like, yeah, I, I think, I think there's just been some misinterpretation. But at the end of the day, who cares? God's work looking after you, and maybe he sends one angel, maybe he sends a host of angels, maybe he says, "I got this one today, guys. Take a break." <laughs> I just don't <laughs> know that we can def- definitely say, definitively say. That everybody has a guardian angel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll go so far as to say if you're a young convert, you've got one because Jesus said it. Yeah. He said, Your angels, the angels in heaven, that you haven't, they're angels looking at. So I'll take that much uh, that if you're a young convert, there's actually spiritual heavenly help for you. That's how much Jesus loves you. He wants you to continue serving See, the Lord and yeah. grow in the Lord, not backslide, not fall back into sin. So, yeah, that's a one. I don't know how much further I could, yeah. I could go into that one. So, um, all right, I want to do. I want to ask you two more questions. One is like pretty interesting, and two, we'll get one that might hurt our heads a little bit. Um, what about the scripture? It's in Hebrews. I don't have it in front of me. 
Um, but it says that we might possibly entertain angels and be unaware of it. And he was actually, he was referencing Abraham, right? When the three men, right? Is that what he's talking about? Um, I I guess. I I would think so. It would make sense. Yeah. I think he was referencing when the three men showed up to Abraham and two of them being angels. And then he tells us essentially like, be nice to everybody because you don't know when you could be entertaining angels and you, you don't know about it. Right. And he said specifically strangers. Yeah. So if you have somebody come to your house and they're traveling and back then there weren't motels, many, so people would come to people's homes and you would entertain strangers. What he was saying was treat people, treat strangers, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, treat them with kindness, treat them as brothers, you know, as as someone who's redeemed kindness and hospitality to people, uh, because you might just be helping a human being who's in need or you might be helping an angel in a human form who's there at your house uh, as sent from God to ultimately speak to you or something like that. So I, I think that's kind of what he what he had in mind there. Now is that that's fully applicable today? Oh yeah. I I've heard stories where people have had strangers show up in this crisis or in situations and uh be there at just the right moment to do just the right thing that they needed. And then Mm -hmm. the person, the crisis is over, the person turns around and that individual has disappeared. That's crazy. Uh, I'm not thinking of any specific stories right now. And I probably got listeners that are going, I know one, I know one, but, but I, I know that uh, I've been told through the years and pastoring by people that said this person just showed up out of nowhere and helped me. I mean, I've, I've heard people, ladies who were, um, possibly were going to be attacked at night. They were out mm. somewhere at night and, you know, somebody would show up out of nowhere and, and the, the, the potential antagonist would see that man and run. And then the woman would turn to thank the guy and it would, they were gone. It's crazy. They weren't even there. Yeah. Um, the, the people have seen people and other people, they've said, did you see that guy? And they said, no, there was nobody there. Um, That's wild. I had a friend of mine, I'm, th- I'm thinking the story right now when I was in Bible college, I had a friend of mine working at a convenience store and he got robbed. He got robbed and um, a guy came in the store, showed up, ran the robbers off. And when Sam turned back around, the guy the guy was gone. Like he disappeared. It's not like he walked out of the store. He wasn't there anymore. He's looking out the, the window, everything. There's nowhere there. he could go. He had to go out the door in front of Sam. Yeah. And when Sam turned to thank the guy didn't even know how he got in the store because Sam was the only one in the store. And then the robbers came in. Now this guy's there. They run and leave and Sam turns and the guys disappeared. And he, to this day will tell you, God sent an angel to save my life. The cops showed up and everything. And he tried to tell them and they said, where is the guy? And he said, he's not, he's not here. I don't know where he went. So, um, yeah, I I think you got to be careful that I I do want to, I want to finish on one, one more verse that probably is the verse that we need to, we've got to say this verse or we will be remiss in this podcast. And it is in the book of Hebrews Mm -hmm. and it's chapter one. And the writer of Hebrews actually talks a lot about angels. That chapter is a very short chapter. It's only 14 verses. And he's comparing the work of the angels to the work of Jesus. And he's creating this concept of how, how angels sit in comparison to the Son of God. You know, yeah. obviously they're inferior and he's superior. But the last verse of that chapter says, talking about angels, 
Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So that verse very clearly says that one of the main roles and responsibilities of God's angelic host is to come to our aid and to minister to us, to serve us. Okay, sometimes it's hard to imagine. You mean an angel exists to serve me? Mm-hmm. They're smarter than I am. They're more powerful than I am. They're superior in many ways to me. That's not what it's about. God made us. We are his redeemed children, and the angels exist to serve us. Okay, um, they serve Christ, but they serve us. Um You read that and you think, well, what do I do with it? Is it just something passive? I think there are a lot of times it's passive. I think how many times have angels helped us and we never knew it? Yeah. So my friend Sam kind of got an inkling that I think I had divine help here. I mean, there's no doubt because, you know, people who've watched people vanish in front of them, they were angels. But how many times passively has God sent an angel to protect us? A car swerved and should have hit us. I mean, I don't think I've talked about this because I think it's happened since the last podcast, but I was standing in a gas station pumping gas right near here, and um, excuse my plainness, but an idiot young person in a truck, I don't know if his girlfriend broke up with him or he was just being an idiot, is three lanes down from me in the gas station, peels out full barrel, lays it in the floor, comes sliding out, cuts the corner, and is headed for the corner of my truck, and I happen to be standing on that side washing my windshield. I look up, and this full-blown truck coming full bore in a parking lot, full bore now, is headed right towards me. I'm thinking, I'm going to die. Today's the day I'm going to die. There's not a thing I can do. Mm. He jerks the wheel and misses the corner of my truck and goes right by me, like a foot by me. And uh, But I did. I thought for a minute, I'm going to die. I told my church the next Sunday, I said, you you could have been, guys could have been at my funeral this week. That's crazy. I went home and told Leah, I said, you you almost became a widow. But now that I sit and think about it, he jerked the wheel at the last minute. And he was headed for my truck. He was going to hit. If he hit the truck, he'd hit me. I mean, I think it would have killed me. But was it that an angel snapped him as his attention and and caused him to miss me at that moment? You just don't know what you, God, you just don't know what and the angels. But I got to tell the story, okay? So we talk about passively, but Evan, is it possible that we're missing out on something where when we need divine help, that we need to be praying and asking for angelic help? Mm-hmm. Now my eyes got opened years ago when I preached youth camps, and I did a youth camp in Florida, in Why Mama, Florida. Why, Mama? Why, Mama? That's what they'd say. Lord, why, Mama, did you send me to camp? <laughs> but why, Mama? It's an Indian name, W-I-M-A-U-M-A. And that, this experience that I'm about to tell you, this story is going to sound unbelievable to a lot of you. It happened. Okay, I was there, and the people who were in the room are my friends. They were eyewitnesses. They came out with their jaws dropped, and they were totally in unbelief, but they were there. They saw it. They experienced it. And before I tell the story, that story helped me to realize, you know what? I can ask for angelic help. I can ask for the angels to come help me. And I started doing it. Now, I haven't done it to the degree of the story I'm about to tell you, but there have been times when I've been in spiritual warfare. I've said, angels, I need you to come stand around me. right? I need you Mm -hmm. to fight off the devil because I'm in their attack right now. 
I've said, God, dispatch warring angels mm-hmm. to beat. I'm just going to be playing to beat the snot out of this devil. I got to beat have the some, devil out of him. Beat the devil out of the devil. I need some victory. Okay. I, I think our listeners today, I would encourage them. Don't be afraid to ask for angelic help Mm -hmm. because verse 14 says that's why they exist. So here's the story. I'm preaching this camp. It's a large camp, probably 400-plus students. You add all the staff. There's 500-plus, 600 people there. It's a a big youth camp. We're in the tabernacle. I've preached that night. We're Pentecostal. I give an altar call. Hundreds of kids are in the altars. The music's going. It's wide open. I'm down there praying for people and doing what we do, and God's touching hundreds of lives. It was powerful. I did not know that there was a teenage boy there that night who was full-blown demon-possessed. Now, I know we're going to talk about demonology in the next the next podcast, but this story fits here. here. So some of the staff, you've got ordained preachers and ministers and youth pastors who are there. They're ministers. They're preachers. So they see what's happening. Some of the staff, they get this boy. The demon begins to manifest itself. It's disrupting the altar service. I don't know what the demon was doing, but it was doing things to be disruptive. Uh, it, this is a full-blown demon possessed. There's no denying this This young man is demon possessed. So they to, 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 to protect the altar service, they several of them grab this kid and take him over in a side room. The, the supernatural power of the demon, there are about, I don't know, eight of these men. They can't hold this kid down mm. because of the demonic possession and the power. They cannot hold him down. They've got him back in a room with a couch and chairs. They're trying to deal with him physically. I'm sure there's some praying going on, but nobody is dealing specifically with the demon. That night, a man because this often happens in Church of God youth camps, visitors will come into the services. They live nearby. They hear what's happening. They want to go be part of the service. Well, God was in the works. That night, a man came to the service who is part of, I think I think his name is Bruce Larson. I think that's his name. He's a nationally known guy, radio guy, deals with demons and supernatural, you know, Christian. And I think he was connected. If I remember the story right, he was with him. He happened to be there immediately discerned what was going on because this is his niche. Mm-hmm. He's used to casting out demons and dealing. And he saw and immediately knew in the spirit what was going on, was drawn and did something, went over into that room, saw what was happening, asked permission to whoever was in charge. He said, we told them who he was. He said, will you give me permission to deal with this? He said, I have experience in this. Um, these preachers and pastors and youth pastors were sort of out of their element. <laughs> And they said, yeah, if you can do something. This is where the story gets crazy, Evan. So this guy goes over. He's gotten permission. He walks over, and he says, angels, pin that young man's arms down to the couch. So he is calling on the angels of God to help him. They said, this boy is flailing. They can't hold him down. They said immediately, if you can visualize this, my listeners, his arms slam back into the couch and pinned to the couch and can't move. He's shrugging, pulling, but he can't move. Wow. The man then said, angels, take that young man's feet and pin them to the floor. And the kid's feet are flailing, and he's kicking the the pastors and youth pastors and the staff. They said immediately his feet slammed to the floor, and like glue were stuck to the floor, and he's jerking, trying to move, but his legs and his feet are pinned, and he cannot move. I interviewed the guys. I interviewed the guy who 
cast out the demon. I also interviewed the guys who were in the room. I said, tell me what happened. I wanted to hear. Every one of them said, we saw it with our eyes. Our jaws dropped. We could not believe what we were seeing. He told the men, he said, get up. He said, get off of him. So they're trying to hold him down, and they take. They said, we took our hands off and backed off, and they said, that kid is sitting in that couch, flailing, trying to move, but his arms and feet are pinned, and he cannot move. That's and crazy. the man got down and began to speak to the demons to cast them out. Well, he told me that in his process of casting out demons, the eyes are the windows of the soul. And he said, so you can look into the eyes and see the demonic presence. And so... I began, he said, I began to speak to those demons and confront them, and I was ca- going to cast them, and he did. He cast the demons out. He said, so I got in that young man's eyes. Well, the demons knew what he was trying to do, and the young man, they made him squeeze his eyes. He squeezed his eyes shut, and he said, open your eyes, and he would not open his eyes. He said, I'm telling you, open your eyes, and the demons would not. He said, okay. Now, this is crazy. He said, angels, take the tips of your swords and pry open that young man's eyes. That's his verbiage. Wow. And the guys in the room said when he said that, that young man's eyes popped open and he could not shut his eyes. And that man got down in his eyes and began to speak to those demons and command them to come out and looked in the man's eyes and he cast the demons out of that man, a young man. And when he was finished, the Bible says there was the boy who was like a dead man. Mm-hmm. That I saw them carry that young man out of the room because after the service was over, I had those guys coming to me saying, you're not going to believe what just happened. Are you even aware? And they were telling me the story. And then I saw them carry the, the counselors, carried the young man out. And um, of course, I'm sure they, they begin to tell him the gospel and had him call, call on the Lord and to be saved. Yeah. And I think that's what, of course, happened that night. That's what you always want to do. Mm-hmm. You get the devil out, you got to get Jesus in. But isn't that a fascinating story? That's crazy. And it happened. You know, I wasn't there, eyewitness, but I talked to the guys who were the eyewitnesses and I talked to them. And I asked him, I said, how did you know to do that? I said, I've never heard anybody doing that in casting out of demons. He quotes to me Hebrews 1.14. He said, the angels are there given to us by God to help us to overcome the devil. He wow. said, all you have to do is ask for their help. And he said, they'll show up. That's cool. That's really cool. It is. That changes the way you just approach life. Yeah. Wow. Call on the help. 911. <laughs> and the angels will show up. That's awesome. I figured that's a good way to end this that's podcast. That's a fantastic way to end. I yeah. love it. Well, I hope uh, today you've learned something about angels. I hope that you've been encouraged. Um, I hope that it's just kind of just been interesting learning about something maybe that um, we don't talk about a whole lot. Um, I want to encourage you in last month, uh, towards the end of the episode, we started this. And so since those episodes haven't released yet, um, we're going to just continue to ask you. We're not going to do it today, but we want to ask you, if you have any questions, any Bible questions, any theological questions, would you log on to either Facebook or Instagram and find High Praises Church based out of Anderson, South Carolina, if you're not a local listener? And would you just send them a direct message through Facebook or Instagram on whatever your question is? And what we'd like to do is start taking the ends of the episodes. This should start... Um, in December, hopefully, um, and we just want to take five to 10 minutes and answer whatever question you have, even if it has nothing to do with the episode that day. And if your question is just that good, that deep, hey, we might even make an entire episode 
answering your question or dealing with that topic. And as always, we want to encourage you Share this podcast, send it to somebody that needs it. Um, give us a review, especially on um, Apple Podcasts, because that gets our name out there even more. Um, please only make it five stars and um, and just share it to everyone who needs it. Thank you so much for listening and tune in in two weeks to hear our episode on demonology for the end of whatever we called it. Spooky October. Oddball October. Oddball October. All of that good stuff. It's going to be great. See you.